0: People, so many of you have demanded that we get Maria Farmer on the podcast and I am just absolutely blown away listening to her conversation with Whitney Webb. The fact that the more she's speaking out and she is speaking out more, the more a liability she has you know, presenting to some of the most powerful, evil, psychopathic people in the world. She was the first Epstein victim to go to the FBI. The FBI, they completely turned the tables on her, did nothing for her, helped the cover-up. And that's just one of the stories we're going to be going over today. We're going to be going going over our inside information on Ghislaine Maxwell, how psychopathic she was, cracking jokes about making Princess Diana cry. How there was a murder attempt on Maria's life by a bodyguard at Wexler's house who a guy who went on to bodyguard Will Smith. But before we get onto your story, Maria, I mean you are so brave and it's so inspirational what you've done and, and thank you for coming on. And thank I'd just you. like to ask you a couple of quick questions then before yeah. we really go back to the beginning. So recently the judge, the court ruled in favour of the sweetheart deal, which right. basically said yeah, sorry, victims, but we're going to protect the perpetrators. How yeah. did that? How did that make you feel?
1: Well, actually, the moment uh, I listened to a podcast by a guy named Bobby Capucci, and he's been really a good friend to all of us. He's a sweet kid, and he's very supportive of this case. So I listened to him that morning and got the news, and I immediately contacted Whitney Webb, um, with whom I've been in conversation with a couple years, but we. At least a year we've been talking about you know talking but the timing wasn't right and I said now's the time and she said I agree and so that infuriated me it also sickened me for the women that were in Florida because those they were children (laughs) the ones in Florida were all children and that shouldn't have happened because I had told the FBI over 10 years before they became victims. So, it's really disturbing to me that they would again hurt these people who were hurt as children, right? So, it hurts the people in Florida, it hurts Brad a great deal, but it really hurts Courtney because, you know, she's put so much into this and her heart and soul and she's kept this alive for so long. I mean, she and Virginia have had this on their backs. And you know, I tried to come out to carry part of the burden for them and I was completely hushed up by mainstream media like they would have me on with a little narrative that was comfortable for them and comfortable for like the funders of their you know networks and that was it and they, I told every one of them everything I told Whitney, everything so they all know the story. Here's the thing. There was one network, ABC, I'm sorry, CBS, who was amazing. They're kind of a class act. They were the only ones They were really nice to survivors. Um, so that was a good experience. But all the other experiences, we, we all kind of felt used and weird. And so finally, after that ruling, I decided, you know what? I'm not letting people think. when I knew these names were going to come out soon. And I didn't know exactly when, but I knew. And I was not going to let these men keep tormenting victims by saying this did not happen because I'm a very credible person you know I've never sued them neither is my sister I had to go into hiding I've made all my reports the FBI knows darn well and so anyway it infuriated me to answer your question
0: and the other victims in your community I imagine they were equally infuriated and is there hope that that decision may be overturned is there an appeal
1: Yes, absolutely. We're going to keep appealing. I just don't trust any of these courts because I don't trust the whole system. It needs to be overridden. I mean, here's the main problem with this that's driven me crazy the whole time is the story is about corruption on the top. I mean, that's what the story is about. It's not even about Jeffrey Epstein, even though he's disgusting and, and, and was a horrible human being. This story is so much about the government letting down people like Virginia and Courtney and my sister Annie and myself and all of us. I mean, you know, there's a girl, Sarah Ransom, that just wants an ounce of justice from the FBI, but they just sure won't give it to her, you know?
0: Since you've been speaking out recently, what has the reaction been to you?
1: Right. I've had people um, be really amazingly loving. Like, uh, you know, it's funny because I had told my story to so many people, so I kind of thought people knew it, like I thought you knew it, and you didn't. And, And Whitney didn't really know the whole thing. And I just kind of assumed people knew based on, like, just kind of hearsay or something. I don't know why I would think you could intuit my story. But I think because I told all these networks, I thought maybe people knew. But no, I was really, I was kept quiet. And I can't remember your question, but I wanted to say something. Vicki Ward um, really hushed us all up. She's, a, she's, not, she's not a journalist. And someone like that should not be, I mean, well, CNN, you know. I mean, come on, consider the source. CNN, by the way, doesn't care at all about us. And the only thing is they wanted to use my sister and I to make Vicki look good. And we wouldn't do it. And then I started getting harassed. And Vicki sent a letter to my house. Um, and it was like a Neiman Marcus velvet card. And it was all full of excuses and kind of about how great she is. Not once was there an apology. And not once did she take accountability for the fact that while she was living with a billionaire, I was actually in hiding, running from the woman she was friends with. Now, imagine this. She's got to still be friends with her. These people don't break up. So now Ghislaine knows where I live. That was the message I got from that velvet It was probably like a $20 card. I mean, this woman doesn't live on planet Earth, you know? I'm like, $20, I could buy a lot of groceries, you know? She's just not um, in reality. So we've been tortured on so many levels by mainstream media that um, it's very frustrating. But I felt like, what do I have to do to make my voice loud enough? And I'm like, I, I start chemo tomorrow, right? Or on Friday. But I feel like I have to just scream out to the mountaintops while I still have the energy to support these girls, because or these women, because they're telling the truth. They're all telling the truth.
0: And before we proceed, I just want to tell the viewers that in the description box below this video is a donation page set up by Virginia for your chemo. I have donated and I urge other people to donate and I'll also sign a the petition, there's a petition down there, both those links are in the description box below this video and I urge people to go down there and support Maria in what she's doing. Wow. So for For people who are not familiar with your story then, how did you end up getting in the clutches of Epstein's community?
1: Right, so I ended up attending this graduate school, the New York Academy of Art uh, which is the Graduate School of Figurative Art and I attended that school, I had um, actually a Uh, there was a little foreshadowing. I went to the first art school I attended was my senior year of college. I was out in the Silicon Valley at Santa Clara University and I talked the Jesuits into letting me do this program in France and making it matriculated and they said get straight A's you can do it so I did this and I did my senior year abroad instead of junior year and so I go there and the first like week I'm there I had this really neat roommate from Germany and She was kind of bubbly but quirky, so she points out, I pointed out this poster and it was like this elongated poster of this figure and it was done in like a red pencil, it was really beautiful. And I said, I want to learn how to draw like that, like Leonardo da Vinci drew, and then I can not draw like that, but I want to know the anatomy first. And she said, you can't go there. And I said, why? And she said, it's a pedophile ring. The whole school's a pedophile ring. And I thought, she's bizarre. Like I just kind of thought it was about her and not the school, because how would she know? She's in Germany and this school's in New York and this is in 1991, 1991. Okay, so, but I ignored that, forgot about it actually, until one of my first bad experiences there. But I attend the school, I'm graduating, it's the night we're having our show and all the students have a painting. But I did a triptych because I was like kind of an overachiever and I love to paint. I'm just, I'm an actual, like, I'm really an artist, you know, it's just, I can't breathe unless I'm making art. And so I do these three paintings and I sell them immediately and no one else sells their art that night. And I'm like, I sold three paintings. And so you'd think the dean would be very, like, appreciative and understand that I might do well in life and push me towards that direction. She doesn't. She comes up to me, uh, this woman, Eileen Guggenheim-Wilkinson, Dean of Students at the time. She comes up to me and she says, you know what, Maria? You know, that painting you just sold, you're going to give the check back. Because you're going to sell it to these people. For the academy, Maria, you're going to do it for the academy. And I mean it. You hear me? You're going to make them happy. They're very important donors for the academy. So I was scared of this woman. She kind of had been controlling me for a couple years. And I was just obedient to her. It was really bizarre. So I these people kind of cast a spell on you and then you just kind of, it's bizarre, I don't know how to explain it, he landed it too, but so then i the, the, she walks them over and I have a short encounter with them and I take a check for 6,000 and then I hope to never see them again. And then I get a call about two weeks later, I'm at an art, artist in residency in the Hamptons and it was a real honor and I couldn't afford the Hamptons, so it was really great, I could go to the beach and she said no, 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 you're leaving, you're coming here, you're going to go on this uh, trip to Santa Fe, New Mexico and you're going to do it for the academy because it will make Eric Fischl happy because he needs students from the academy there and so she picked like his best students I think is what what happened but I think she also picked me for a reason because um, she dragged me to, we flew with her on a plane to Santa Fe, New Mexico and she dragged me to the Taos Ranch and before we went in, she said she wanted me to sit on his lap and flirt and make him happy, yeah.
0: What so that's how r- I
1: entered, and then I, she kept pushing him on me, I have more to that. but I
0: What was the ranch like?
1: Pardon? The ranch? Yeah. Um, it was really remote and kind of, um, I don't know, just bizarre, the way it was set up, like, it was like military style in the way that uh, Wexner's Ranch was set up and that you had to go through these various levels of security to get there. And the funny thing is, you know, I was one of the first guests there and they hadn't built the house yet. They were building it right behind this, but they had like a double wide trailer. And so before we got there, Eileen had said, now you brag to them about the home. And so when I walked in, I was like, Jeffrey, this is a great double wide. You know, <laughs> I was just teasing and she, Eileen was very mad at me. And then later she walked me outside and she said, um, you know, we're going to – she takes me by the elbow. She's like, you're going to go talk to Ghislaine. I don't even know if she told me that. She just said, we've got to go outside a minute. And I go out and Ghislaine rides up on a white horse. She rides up on a white horse. And she's in like British tan and like Ralph Lauren, you know, like a tweed, and very expensive clothing. Like I just wanted to touch it. I was like, I'll never wear anything like that. Can I touch it? It's like out of a museum and she literally looked like a Ralph Lauren ad back then um she wasn't pretty but she was so freaking charming I know this is weird but she was so charming back then and she could convince you that you were like the only person in the world and then she would turn on you so you really wanted to please her because you didn't want her to turn on you and the weird thing is Eileen Guggenheim wasn't charming but she was manipulative in the same way and she kept you like in fear and I was a student and my sister who just went you know she's a doctor now and she said when she was in graduate school that's when she figured out what happened to me was so wrong and how systemic the abuse was at the academy because I was, I, Eileen used me as her maid and her babysitter and I was a student and I was paid minimum wage which is fine but sometimes she didn't pay me and it's just really a crummy thing to do to someone like who has to walk home because they have money for food you know and that's how these people treated me the, the third time I encountered them So then, you know, after the ranch, I'm like, those are the weirdest people. I hope I don't have to experience them again. Because some weird things happened at the ranch. One of them was they had a dinner party. Well, when we opened the closet, there was a skeleton in it. When we went to go hang our coats, I'm like, is that supposed to be like ironic or something? So then we go to sit down at the table and uh, I didn't remember this but there's this really um, smart girl that went to, or woman that went to school with us named Ursula Rudenberg and she remembers all of it and she, she wrote to Artnet and said actually Eileen's lying, Maria's telling the truth and so they were able to come out with that but she said that they handed, and then I remember now that they had us like blindfolded, they blindfolded us and then they passed around a little brown bag with like false breasts in it, you know like an actual, like boobs and so we're supposed to guess what it is and then put it in and I didn't put it in my shirt but I was like laughing Eileen's like laugh for the Academy you know this is the Dean I think it's very low-class the way she conducted herself and that's why I want her removed we only have two thousand signatures on there and actually Kirby is so heroic to do this petition Kirby Summers and I, I didn't um, ask, you know, I, they did this for me, but it's also because this woman is so reprehensible, she shouldn't be
0: around students. So I imagine, oh, I imagine at least 50,000 people 000. will watch this, oh, yes. maybe 100,000, and if you are watching, please go down and click on that petition, it doesn't cost anything, let's get those signatures up, we're going to hear more about the horrors of this woman, Guggenheim, and um, so you've mentioned that you've almost felt as if they'd cast a spell on you.
1: Yes. Would you yes. say
0: that the energy of Ghislaine Maxwell and Guggenheim, they have kind of a sorceress energy?
1: Yes. Yeah. I would say that um, they're not good witches. <laughs> That's for sure. I would say that they, I think it's more of like their. I think it has more to do with their fact that they might be psychopaths. Uh, okay they are psychopaths, I I experienced them and they are psychotic and so I think when people are psychopaths they can control the narrative because you know they are going to flip out so you just obey whatever they are going to do I think that's part of it and part of it was sheer evil part of it was just, and I've never I mean it was like an evil, I talked to David Icke about this it was like an evil like I've never seen and it would go from somebody being normal to BAM, evil and especially with Gilan more than anyone, Jeffrey had it too, big time but Gillian was like the very worst because she's a woman and she was luring children in to feed a man. I mean, I just, I just, it's still, it, 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 it's just un, it's incomprehensible
0: to me. Yeah. As the as the true colors unfolded, who were you most scared of out of the three of them?
1: Um, Gillian was is definitely the most terrifying. I would have stayed in New York even though Jeffrey was stalking me, and there are many witnesses to that. Um, even though he was stalking me, and Ghislaine was calling me, threatening my life. And this was a regular thing. And the FBI knew about this. And to answer your question, Ghislaine is the most terrifying person I've ever met in my life. I'm terrified of her, yeah. I'm still in hiding, and the FBI does not care. And not only that, recently something, I'm, I'm in poor health. And recently I had to go to the doctor at a new office, and the women one of the women recognized me, and they were very hostile, aggressive towards me. And it ended up, this is, you're gonna, one of them just died from a meth overdose. And I think they were drug, on drugs. And it was in a really rural town, and I think that's why they were psychotic towards me. But the scary part is, I ran out of there and my mom was like, what's going on? And I'm like, there's a crazy pack of women in there. And so then they like went after my 70-year-old woman, mother. And so then a police officer called my phone and said, you're gonna be arrested. I'm dating one of those women and we're gonna come and arrest you. So I had to move again because I don't feel safe because, listen to this, because I called the KBI, this was in Kentucky, the Kentucky Bureau of Investigation and as soon as I said my name and he types it in, he began screaming, there's no way he did not verbally abuse me on purpose and when I told Sigrid she was shocked, but I do not feel safe in the state of Kentucky, I will never go back there because they made it very clear I'm not safe there and they don't care about me one bit and that is the FBI.
0: In your early interactions with Epstein and Ghislaine, when you saw them communicate with each other, was it a communication of equals or was one subservient to the other?
1: This is kind of weird because the, they had it presented like he was in charge and she was the lady of the house, but it was very clear to me she was in charge. And I mean, she controlled everything about what happened in this house. She controlled who came into the house, she controlled who left the house, she controlled everything about this guy and then he just sat upstairs and got three massages a day and he was trying to sell himself to me as a banker and I want to say something about that, I worked with a really not everybody at the academy was bad, there were two really good people and one of them was this guy John Paulson and he's like a billionaire now but he was the most honorable man like uh, he became a good friend, Eileen tried to kind of pawn me off on him right And instead of that, we just became very good friends. And he taught me a great deal about like finance. I'm not good at it, but he taught me. And then he also helped me start a company called Tribeca Party Servers. And the reason I'm telling you this is because I don't want everybody to, I don't want people to think everyone at that school is bad, you know? Eric Fishel was the most honorable professor. And just not, not at all thinking in the term, he was just teaching us art, you know? So there were people there that weren't aware of how weird this was, but I did tell them Along the way, I said. So Eileen, the first year, first sorry, second year of graduate school, we just moved the the academy to Franklin Street, and across the street on Franklin Street lived this guy Christian Vincent. He's now married to this woman Perry Gilpin. They've been married for many years. She was on Fraser, and what makes me angry is every time I would see these people in like the grocery store walking by, it would make me sick. Because this guy, this was my first Eileen Guggenheim experience, where she and Barbara Krulik sent me across the street on Halloween, and I was dressed as Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz, and I had my little dog in a basket. And I was 24 years old, you know, 23. And we had, Eileen had already taken us to that place the week before. And so we came back, I, you know, the, she called, on Halloween she says, I want you to go fetch Christian across the street, Christian Vincent. And I was like, ugh, okay. And she said, he's not answering his phone. So then she and Barbara Krulik said, Go over there, get, you know, he's expecting you. I go over there, and it was, it was like, well, it was the first time I'd ever had an experience like this. There were more to follow when Eileen was around and Gilan, but mostly Eileen. So I go to the, the place, and he answered immediately. First, he asked me if I have a boyfriend. And I'm like, That is such a weird question. And then he doesn't let me answer. And he pushes me down, and I don't know how to explain it, but he suffocated my face with his face. And he started getting a phone call, and the reason I'm telling this story is to show this was a pattern for these people. My German roommate in France was right. This woman, will she didn't care about the students. Eileen Guggenheim Wilkinson, not, not the art family Guggenheim, by the way. Um, she kind of, pretend, you know, she uses it to say, "I'm a Guggenheim." No, you're not. Stan Pottinger said she's just any old Guggenheim in the phone book in Florida. That's all she is. So, anyway. The reason I'm telling you is that there was this. So he, he basically did that twice to me. I was able to escape. That woman, Barbara Krulick, was let go. I did, you know, I confided in the school. I told everyone. But Eileen, they did nothing to her. She remained there in full control, ruling the roost. What she said, everything Eileen would say, that's how it was, and you would obey her, and that was right.
0: Yeah. Oh, okay. Earlier on, you said the psychopathic traits were revealed to you over time. Could you give us some specific stories of how the psychopathy was revealed to you?
1: Right, so, um, one thing would be like, Guylaine would come in the house on 71st street, and this is when I was working at the desk, it was my second job working for Epstein, Um, and I ended up with the job because of Eileen Guggenheim again, but anyway, so, or her sister, but, I so, Eileen um, Gilan would walk in, and she'd be in the best mood, all chipper, she'd just been shopping, she'd all, all kinds of bags, and she'd be all giddy and happy, because she just shopped, I guess it like kept her, you know, or if she would exercise, and then in a, a few hours she'd go, I'm going out to get the new vials, and I'm like, she would change, like, her expression, her everything, her intentions changed to evil, and you could see it, it was like, whoop and I did not understand, all I thought was, Victoria's Secret must be the creepiest company on the planet because every day she said, I work for Les Wexner, she made it very clear, she was doing this for Les Wexner she was getting children to model for his, she called it Victoria's Secret, but I think it was all of the limited corporation at the time is what Jeffrey said, but she would always say I'm going to get models for Victoria's Secret, but she would always call them new biles And so I went and looked it up, and it's really gross. It's like people who have just started, children who have started their period, you know. And that's a psychopathic thing. Another thing is she wouldn't let me eat at the estate when I was in, uh, when I actually had to go to Ohio on the Wexner estate. That was my third position working with them. So when I I was there, um, I was starved while I was there. And another victim was starved by Gillen, too. And on both cases, for one, she wanted me to lose my breasts because she wanted me to look nubile. And I was 24. That's kind of weird, you know?
0: What method did she use to round up the nubiles, and who were accomplices in performing those tasks?
1: Okay, so. Um, that's interesting because one thing she would do is she would get in her car with friends and go on drives and sometimes she had real friends like there was a woman joan rivers and she was actually a good egg like she wasn't part of it she was just funny and they were actually acquaintances joan did not understand who this woman was i can tell you that but because she was a nice lady and so sometimes we would go she would Gilan would bring me on the drives to watch her dog i had a yorkie she had a Yorkie, so she would just go, oh, watch the Yorkies, stay in the car, she just wanted to be able to tell someone what to do, constantly. And she didn't have friends for this reason, right? But she had like people around her, so Ivana Trump was around her all the time, and I remember it's when Ivana had a QVC channel, and the reason I remember this is because I went on a drive with them, and on a more than one occasion, you know, as the servant, I guess, watching the dog, and Afterwards, uh, she was like, "Ivana wants you to have this for being so good." And it was one of these really tacky 1980s plastic bracelets covered in fake gold. And I just went think on the way home. And I, was, I remember telling Andy Stewart, the chef, I said, "Look at this piece of garbage she gave me." And she said, "Maria, that he said that is so offensive and so land to give you a cheap gift and pretend like it's real, you know." And that was her thing; like everything was an illusion. You know, this wasn't really their home. This wasn't really, but boy, she acted like it was. You know.
0: So you said you actually went on drives with them. Mm -hmm. Are you saying these were drives to collect newbiles? And what did they do? Were they like, what kind of vehicle were they in, and how did they approach people? Just strangers?
1: Yeah, strangers. So it was a black, um, I think a town car or Mercedes. I can't remember because they had a couple of you know vehicles, but this one was one of the lower vehicles. And there was a Hispanic driver and he was kind of creepy, I, I never met him like personally, I just rode in his car and he uh, he would always drive so he knew it was happening and I, I went on a few of these where she would like be near Central Park or a school and go stop the car and he would just stop and she would run out and she would exchange numbers like on a sheet of paper, you know like give a sheet of paper to a girl and then get their digits and then the next day they'd be at the house for modeling and I'd say well that little girl's like in a uniform why do you want her and she's like Maria Victoria's Secret models start very young and I'm like but they have breasts and she's like not all of them not all of them Mm-mm. we need the new vials and then she got sloppy towards the end she'd say I need to get new vials for Jeffrey and I'm like is it for are these people coming to see Jeffrey I thought it was for Victoria's Secret and she's like oh yeah he has to authorize it
0: oh mm. yeah. yeah. Okay, so over what period of time were you around these people?
1: So it was only from 1995. Actually, I mean, I met them in 95, right? And then I started working for them until um, 1996, almost
0: 97. And the worst incident happened to you at Wexner's property. Is that correct?
1: Yes, yes. Um, one, one thing that happened when I got there is that, you know, I was very excited because I'd gotten this uh, commission to do paintings for the movie as good as it gets. This guy, Jim Brooks, who's like this brilliant director, who I always admired, so I had this opportunity. It wasn't high pay or anything, but it was an honor. And so I did these phenomenal paintings for it, and so that's what I was doing there. I wasn't working for anyone else, but they said that that she wanted an artist in residence. Abigail Wexner wanted an artist in residence. So I was really excited about this because I thought these might become collectors, you know? Maybe they'll be nice, and maybe they'll be helpful, and I won't have to be around creepy Jeffrey and Gilan, and you know, I can have other collectors. And Jeffrey and Gillan never paid me for my art, they stole it from me, you know? So I thought maybe these collectors might start paying, that'd be great. And I go there, and as soon as I show up, there's this guy, Randy Bowie, there to greet me. And he's like, hey, you know, I'm Special Forces. I'm here if you need me. I'm Les Wexner's right-hand man. Okay, so here's the house. And he shows me in this house. It's called the Rotunda. And it's a 26,000-square-foot guest house, okay? And it's built like an old Georgian uh, library or something. And it's based on the Rotunda in Columbus, Ohio. And so when you walk in it's just this big round like library with all this tacky leopard carpet that's like this thick and red and purple everywhere, and, I mean it's just garish, right, really over the top tacky. And all the places that Epstein had were fully outfitted by Wexner with cameras, with the French decorator, and Epstein told me, he said I get all this for a dollar and I was so jealous, like, how do you get that for a dollar? I thought 500 a month was great in Greenwich Village, you know? And so, I couldn't believe a dollar. And anyway, I get there, and I'm in this house that apparently he also got for a couple bucks. And, but, but at the time, he told me it was less than Abigail's, and it was surrounded by 350 acres of their property. So, when I get there, he's uh, Randy Bowie, who is actually now Taylor Lautner's bodyguard. Yeah. So the company has like Angelina Jolie and Will Smith and all these people. And he personally sees to Taylor Lautner. And when like Virginia and I contacted him, he blocked us. So that's weird. Yeah. Block the victims. That's a great look for you. Anyway, I mean, I wanted him to know in case he's not safe. This guy is not, this is not a safe man. This is a crazy man. (laughs) And that is my opinion. But I have an experience to prove that. But anyway, so when I was at the estate as soon as he's shutting the door he's like okay now you can't go back outside unless you call because we have sharpshooters and Dobermans all over the property and I'm like what? so I immediately my stomach sank and I thought this is not what I'd hoped you know this is really this is really uncomfortable so finally the first time Jeffrey and Gillian got there they took me to get my driver's license which is a good thing and I, and I had my mail forwarded, another good thing, because um, Abigail and Les say I never lived there, and that it wasn't their house. That's pretty funny since it was, but okay. Anyway, I did live there, and I have lots of photos and proof. And um, I was tormented there the last night I was there by Jeff uh, Jeff Um They came in. I had my little brothers there staying with me, and they were 5 and 12, so I had the responsibility of these at this point very skinny children because we couldn't go get food, right? And I was told I couldn't eat, by Gilan. I was told I couldn't eat at the country club. I could only go with Claire Hazel and I couldn't eat there because I'm not the right religion. Now, this wasn't the rules of the country club, I don't think. These were Gilan's rules, you know? This is what I thought. Um, I don't know, maybe these were the country club rules. But she said, they're not going to serve you if you're not Jewish. They're just not going to serve you. And I'm like, that's not, and I called my boyfriend who's who's Jewish and he's like, uh, Marie, that's not legal. You know, that's that's never heard of that. And he asked his dad, and his dad's like, no, 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 that's not legal. <laughs> and so it was really bizarre. And then, anyway, the last night, Gilan came into my room, and she was wearing a robe. And, and she didn't usually wear a robe around me. I'd only seen her wear a robe, like, in Palm Beach when she was getting her servants to do her feet and nails, which they did every day. She had, like, stolen people from the Philippines to do all this work and they had these women in all their houses, you know, and they told me they were stolen, that's the word they used. So, I go to the room and Jeffrey and Gilan Jeffrey's watching, he wants me to rub his feet, it's just, you don't rub your boss, you know, I've just, I've never been asked to rub my employer's feet, in fact, this was my first job, can you even imagine? This is my first real job, and I'm like, I know for a fact that I'm not supposed to rub my employees' feet, and he goes, come on, Maria, you know, it's just not a big deal, we're all friends, you know, so I take off his sock, and I had mentioned this the other day, but I, as a child, had these recurring nightmares about a monster, and I had to befriend the monster to survive the dream, so when this happened, I felt like I was prepared, because I was like, okay, I can prepare I can I can befriend this monster to escape this. But I, I wasn't a great actress or anything, but I actually, you know, gave him a foot massage and for a second and he started moaning and I couldn't tell if it was like pain or pleasure, it was weird and over the top. So he, I said, I, I'm hurting you, let me let me please stop. And he goes, Come here, sit down. And he pats the bed and I'm like, Oh, I'm gonna be raped. I just I just knew. I just knew and I knew that there were sharpshooters and Dovermans. and I knew that nobody cared and did anybody really know like where I was? You know, I start thinking these thoughts. So I sit down and Ghislaine sits next to me and she's like loosening her robe and they both very mechanically start assaulting me and kind of shaming me that I have breasts. It was so embarrassing, it was so awful that I actually got a breast reduction after because they damaged me so badly that I felt humiliated about my own body. This happened to a few girls, that this happened, that we had to have these things because we were so damaged. So anyway, he goes and um, he's watching a math program the whole time on PBS. And Ghislaine says, listen, uh, Jeffrey's very smart. He watches PBS. And I'm thinking, you're so weird. This isn't, I don't care. But the whole time I'm being assaulted, I'm staring at the ceiling. And this is what I'm thinking, Sean. I'm thinking, my sister was around them she's in thailand is she alive they raped her that's what i'm thinking the whole time and i'm like my god i think she's dead and then i think i don't know where this came from sean but all of a sudden i'm like my god my photographs are downstairs and i need to go get them and it was the weirdest thing i had this feeling like they'd gone through my photos well they had and i'm going to tell you about those photos those photos were of my little sisters who when i took those pictures were 12 and 15 and they were um, studies I was doing for anatomy like while I was in graduate school, so you just use what you had, you use, I got sick of looking at myself, I was like, oh, I don't want to draw her anymore, so I'd use my sisters, my mom, whoever was standing there, and, um, but, you know, some of them were partially clothed, very, like, risque pictures that were very private anatomical studies, and 12 and 15, right, so that morning, they leave, by the way, when I got back in that room that night, I barricaded the doors, because I was terrified, that's all I could do, I got my brothers and I barricaded the doors so when I, that morning after they left I immediately, you know, run around and Elan called me screaming at me that morning and then Jeffrey called and at this point I had gone downstairs and seen that the photographs were missing and they were in a safe and she had torn open the safe, it was like a plastic safe but you know it was a safe And it was in the basement, like the below the basement level at Wexner's property. It was this really creepy area, but it was like in the ground, so I felt safe hiding things there. Plus I did I took sauna's down there. They had a sauna room. It was like a multi, like with all these shower heads and then they had like a safe room down there and then they had a room that the maid said the door led to a tunnel. Okay? She said it led to a tunnel. And but the the trauma for me, my real trauma was thinking my sister had died and Right after, okay, so Jeffrey calls and he's like, that was just so great last night. I just had so much fun with you. And I'm, I'm like, Jeffrey, Jeffrey, my pictures are gone. Like, this is horrible. I'm leaving. You are sick. You are very sick, you know. And I didn't say I was going to tell, but I was like, I'm getting the hell out of here. And he goes, Maria, no, 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 listen. I will give you anything. What do you want to calm down? And I hung up on him. And I called 911. 911 and they hung up on me. And then I called 911 again cuz like in America you think 911 doesn't hang up on you. So I call again. And the woman, same woman answers, young voice she says, "Listen, the sheriff is at the gate. You're never leaving, okay? We work for Wexner." Click, very clearly. I told ABC this and they were like, "Well, she doesn't remember who she called." And da, da, da. no, that's not true. I remember very specifically who I called. And I've told the story over and over again. And everyone's doing Wexner's bidding. And I don't appreciate it very much.
0: Let me just clarify that for some people in this country then. What you mean by the sheriff who's on the gate is that the person in charge of the local police force is protecting Wexner's gate. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Okay. So this escalates then into the situation with the bodyguard, right? Yes.
1: Yes. So with that that case. Right. So, actually, before that, I called everyone I'd ever met, pretty much. You know, I'm calling people, and I called Eileen Guggenheim Wilkinson from the New York Academy of Art. She's still the dean. I call her, and I said, I told her everything. I said, this is, these people tried to rape me. I think they raped Annie, and I think Annie might have died. And they said, I think she's in Thailand. I don't think she made it. And she goes, you must have really done something wrong. And she hung up on me. So, everybody hung up on me. And I was like, I called this one girl that was in the graduate program with me and she was so creepy cavalier about it and she goes, oh, they're just players. They're just, oh, no, she said they're swingers. And I was like, well, okay, how does that make this, how's that funny? Like, none of this is funny to me. And and so I called everyone I'd ever met, but while meanwhile, the bodyguard's outside pacing, literally pacing, and he looks like a rabid, like, raccoon or something. And he's just like, ugh, like, he's going. I, I have never seen... I've never had anyone look at me like this. And I've never had anyone look at me and promise me, you are never going anywhere. You are never leaving, do you hear me? Never. So to me that means I'm gonna die now. Because what are they gonna do with me here? And I have my brothers, so I finally call my dad. And I'm like, dad, your sons are gonna die. And he's like, what? What are you talking about? You know, he's never experienced anything like this. And I said, dad, this is really embarrassing, but you have to come get them now. And I couldn't even explain the gravity, like, you know, he knew I wasn't, wasn't exaggerating, like, who has this experience, it's so embarrassing, like, how did I end up here? And so, thank you Eileen guggenheim Wilkinson. thank you very much, New York Academy of Art. So I'm sitting there, going, how do I get out of this place? And there, finally, my dad gets there, it's several hours later, he gets there, maybe four hours later, and my brothers, I actually walked them to the gate, and I told, like, Washington Post, New York Times, I told everyone this. They didn't want that narrative. They wanted it to be that my dad came and saved me. but That's not what happened. He waited at the gate, because they wouldn't let him in. They were not going to let my father in. I walked, knowing there were sharpshooters and Dobermans, I walked my brothers to the gate. This was the first time I went outside, well, second time. One time I went out and the Dobermans came, so I went right back in. This time I didn't care. I did not care. I said, you know what, they can eat me. I don't even care. And so I walked my brothers to the gate. I walked back, and I had 12-hour standoff with Randy Bowie at that point. Yeah
0: so why did you walk back because you were committed to being in there there was no no because all of my
1: paintings all of my worldly possessions well actually most of my worldly possessions all of my art supplies for one and that was another thing jeffrey and galen were like they're going to provide you with art supplies and a beautiful well-lit studio i had to paint in the garage and they watched me the whole time they have pinhole cameras everywhere everywhere so like he lands in New York reprimanding me for what I'm doing in my bedroom in 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 Ohio. No privacy at all for a year of my life, like none. Yeah. They would describe my – one time Jeffrey sent me across to the flagship store in Manhattan across the street from his Helmsley Palace uh, offices. And when I came back, well, he said he's sending me there to get a proper bra, like shaming me, you know, and I was – I should have quit, but, you know, it's like I was brainwashed or something. That's what I'm saying, like, who puts up with that? It was only, like, my fifth day on the job. Why did I tolerate this? And I think it was because I was terrified of Eileen and and the academy and losing all my connections because she lured them over me. I'll help you get this connection if you do that. There's one other thing I want to say about the pattern of abuse is that she also tried to sell me to Cy Twombly, Eileen Guggenheim. Um, He's an artist, a British artist. And he he gave me a call saying that... um, I, I, well, Eileen called me and said you're going to be his concubine and you're going to move to London. I'm in graduate school. I'm like, I don't think so. Or I just graduated. I don't know. Anyway, so she's trying to get me to go there. So the point is these people have no respect for human beings and they use them.
0: So you give the brothers to your dad and Sorry, you're, wa- walking yes. you're walking back. As you're walking back, what is going through your head?
1: Um, I just knew I was going to die. I knew I was going to die. Um, when I got back, Randy Bowie promised me that I was never leaving, of course. Um, he had already promised me that prior to that. He was pacing, I think, trying to figure out where to kill me and take me somewhere because um, I wouldn't leave. I would not leave. I held on to the column when I was outside. Um, it's got these, like, big, fake Georgian columns. You know, they've, it's a very tacky place, but, you know... Anyway, so I am I go inside and, and because I knew they watched everything, I called every human being I'd ever met in my life. I literally went through my phone book and I said very loudly, I'm at the estate of Les and Abigail Wexner and their right-hand man is going to murder me. And so I just told everyone. I just called and I said I've got to go and I would call another. Well, that's how I got out of there. I really believe it because they watched everything. Like. One day, I spilled a tiny spot of henna on the carpet, okay? Just, and I thought, I know they watch everything, but I'm gonna pull this trash can over this, and I don't think they're gonna see it, and I'm not gonna get in trouble. And I got a call from Ghislaine five minutes later, eviscerating me, screaming that Abigail is going to have a nervous breakdown, that I'm gonna lose my position at this wonderful place in the middle of freaking nowhere, where I don't get to see any human beings, and I can't eat, and I am a really bad person, because a spot of henna is on the carpet. So there were even times when I went to the restroom or went in the shower and she screamed at me on the speakerphone from New York to get out of the damn shower. I needed to help her. So no privacy.
0: Yeah. So you're yeah. you're documenting what's happening. You're calling all these people. Yeah. Creating evidence against him if he does murder you, which was a smart yeah. thing to do. It was just instinct I'd how, seen him on Oprah. <laughs> how yeah. long did it take then for you to get away from him?
1: About twelve hours. About 12 hours. What
0: happened in those 12 hours?
1: He was pacing outside the house, pacing around the truck. Um, he was not going to let me leave. And when I finally was leaving, he said, you're never coming back. And if you do, you won't make it. So he made it very clear. He said, you will be arrested immediately. You will be arrested and you know, he just made all these threats, he also recently, when I came forward I was telling like CBS about him, so they contact him and he's, so he sends me this threat letter, I think through Wexner's attorneys, that's what we think, because it was just very immature and it said listen, if you ever mention me again you're going to be sued, and you know what, my client couldn't have done this, because he has a family, he has a wife and child, so this could not have happened 24 years ago, I'm, I'm not following,
0: yeah. So, so what changed that enabled you to leave that property? Um, The thing that
1: changed was that he got the message from whoever was watching that I was not going to shut up and I think that I told too many people and so he stopped pacing he was still salivating and like I mean he was like I've just never seen it before it was like I was in a war zone and so he thought I was going to forget all this but I know what anyway basically I got out of there by driving away and you know I got threats at the gate from the sheriff. (laughs) and from those people that worked for him, there were two other guys at the gate that were also his special forces guys, Um, I have photos of all of them, I can show you, and he, but those other guys, they never threatened my life, they were actually kind of nice to me, but it was like Randy Bowie was the guy there to threaten my life, and then I was, I had Claire Hazel there, and you know, Claire Hazel was Jeffrey's girlfriend from England, and she would watch me, she could take me to the country club, kind of babysit me, but she was like kept by Jeffrey, she was very clear, he said, this is my girlfriend, Claire Hazel, and I was so confused, because I thought he was married to Lan at the time, they kept changing their narrative, but Claire Hazel now, oh, I just wanted to tell you, Claire Hazel has a, uh, a castle, she's now a Guinness, and she lives in this castle, it's where they filmed Eyes Wide Shut, you cannot make it up, after she owned it, <laughs> that's right. They put it in your face, you know?
0: What was your plan when you got out of that Wax the property?
1: Um, Just to live, I didn't think I was going to make it very long, um, I pretty much thought well they're probably going to kill me and I went to Kentucky because my dad was there, I had like a, I slept on a couch for like a month and then I went back to New York and when I got back, um, the butler's son had thrown out all of my worldly possessions and painted my entire apartment black, that's the butler that died in prison, okay? So, Jeffrey is, they're so cheap that they were like renting my apartment To the butler's son to get extra money. I mean, it's just so weird, like nickling and diming everyone to death, stealing art, just and making all these promises but never, ever fulfilling any of them, and then, you know, stealing your family and you know trying to rape your sister or something.
0: I mean, it's just horrible. So, did you ascertain whether your sister was alive? At some point, you were worried she was dead.
1: So in Kentucky, um, I reached out to what I was told was a program in Thailand, and it ends up. Oh, it was a real program, she was still being groomed, um, she was very much going to go through what Virginia went through, it was very clear like where she was headed, because later gilan called me and said, do you even understand what a big mistake you made, and I'm like what are you talking about, and she said, Annie was going to get the privilege of carrying Jeffrey's babies, do you think, understand how amazing that is, like she just wanted she was sick. It was sick, my sister was 16 when she was telling me this, sickest thing I've ever heard in my life, right, so they were still grooming her, so luckily she was on an actual program in Thailand, she wasn't like sent there for any other nefarious purpose, but it was really just part of the grooming, and so I talked to her. the person in charge of the program, this woman, and she gets Annie on the phone, and I'm like, Annie, what happened to you? And I did. We didn't communicate well. She's in Thailand. I'm on a payphone in Kentucky, and I couldn't understand everything. And from that, I thought she'd been raped. But I knew she was alive, right? So for a long time, we didn't. We never talked about it. And so when I talked to the FBI, when they came back to me ten years later, I was convinced Annie had been raped. But she was very. She was harmed, but she was fortunate, you know, because.
0: How did they get their hands on your sister?
1: So um, my sister. When my first meeting with Jeffrey, he asked me if I had a family. This is, you know, the, okay. So I, I, Eileen Guggenheim said, you know, my sister needs help. She needs work. I mean, she needs you to work for her. And so I went over there and like scrubbed her toilets for two weeks, and I wasn't paid. And so as I'm leaving, I'm talking, and she, Barbara Guggenheim was screaming at me, again, psychotically screaming at me and abusing me. And even her husband was like, you don't need this. And her husband is Bert Fields, he's like a really powerful attorney. So again, like they would always use these people. So I was paid in two expired traveler's checks and a bag of garbage. She said I could sell at the flea market if I wanted money. And I should be grateful. And I walk home because I didn't have the money for a subway. I walk home with, I throw the bag of garbage out, you know. And and then I go and she wanted me to sell like an old blanket and some costume jewelry. She's like, you should be grateful. Okay. And I take the expired traveler's checks to the bank and they're like, sorry, these are expired, you know. So, I walk home and there's a phone call from Jeffrey and it's and he's saying, I heard you had to work for that bitch Barbara and guess what, you're having a real job tomorrow. So I go in and the first day when he's interviewing me, he has Morgan Fairchild sitting behind him, she's like sitting there. It was weird, never said a word, she just sat there. So creepy, he and everything was like, he was trying to make himself look like the great Gatsby or something. Like everything's so fabulous and different and weird. I'm like, "Okay, I just want a job, <laughs> and so I go in and 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 he's asked me about Annie, and well, he asked me about my family and and i was very- I'm very proud of my sister, and I bragged about her because she's my sister. I was amazed by her. She's an amazing person. And so, of course, like, I start talking about her. And he's like, how old is she? And I said, well, she's 16, and she's going to be going to an Ivy League. And you know, It's just like a nightmare. Because he then asked, like, are you close to your dad? And I said, no, because he kind of left us. And so he knew we were destitute, abandoned, and she was young. And he knew I had talent. And, and they liked all these people. Um, they would always have me, like, to the dinner table, but they treated me like a servant. I was in a really weird – I was in a different position than a lot of these the, – People who are children, obviously, you know. Um, But I don't, I I still, I guess they did the assault on me because they weren't attracted to women at all. So I guess they did the assault to like have control over me and to traumatize me is what I think.
0: Did they ever get you to the island?
1: Uh -uh. They didn't own the island in 96. Yeah, he didn't own it. I think he had just purchased it around, I can't remember what year,
0: but yeah, he didn't own it. So you've mentioned some pretty big names. You said uh, um, Ivanka Trump, I believe, was... Um, Ivana,
1: Ivana. Ivana.
0: Ivana, sorry, Ivana Trump was in the vehicle that was procuring kids. Yeah. That's, that's a huge I thing. mean, I can't
1: say whether she knew. But how could these? How could people be around them and not know? This is why I just want them to tell me. Explain yourself, Ivana, with all that money. Did you think it was funny that she was getting new vials? Is that funny? I don't think it's funny.
0: Which of a famous... Powerful people? Did you witness associating with Epstein and Ghislaine, and did you see them embarking in any criminality?
1: I never saw criminal activity. I saw people going up the stairs. And right now, I just because of my health, I don't want lawsuits, so I'm not naming them right now. I will later. I just feel I feel like I've I've put a lot out there recently, and and then I get threats from people like Alan Dershowitz, and I can't really handle that. You know, it's it's too stressful right now. Um, He's he's tormenting victims, he's he's suing a precious woman who endured the worst hell you can go through. How dare him, you know? That's another reason I wanted to speak out. I wanted to be able to say, these girls are telling the truth and those people are bad actors. And they are, (laughs) this needs to change, we need to flip this scenario.
0: Okay, so we left off then with you escaping from Wex's property, you checked on your sister, Did they try to pull you back into the orbit?
1: Um, No. (laughs) So what happened is um, after I left, I started receiving death threats. So as soon as I got back to New York and I was able to get my landlord to break into my black apartment with no empty black apartment, um, I realized I wasn't really safe because they had my keys, they knew everything, right? So I decided I went with an acquaintance over to the NYPD 6th Precinct. And I told them and I was so embarrassed because it's such an outrageous story and I was like, who's going to believe me? Right. But luckily a couple of these guys, really good guys, and they knew me and they were like, we know she's not making this up. Like she's never said anything like this. Why would this be? So they said, Maria, this is so beyond like our realm of what we do. We deal with Greenwich Village, you know what I mean? It's a 6th precinct. They're like, we can handle like the threat she's made about burning your apartment down and burning you and your art, but we can't really make any, um, any of these other things. You have to call the FBI. And I'm like, what's the FBI? You know, I just never even thought about this stuff. And I'm like, I do? I have to call them? And I was terrified. And they're like, yeah, here's the number. So it was like the Southern District of New York, right? So the day of the arrest, Berman He says, he has a pointer and a poster, a $4 poster and a pointer for 25 cents. And he's going, has anybody ever seen this guy? Very theatrical. Has anyone ever seen this guy? Oh my gosh, we've never even heard of him until we read the Miami Herald. Julie Brown, what a hero. No, no. Brad Edwards is the hero. (laughs) Julie Brown borrowed his notes. I'm glad she brought some light to the situation, but she's made a lot of it about herself. And it's not about Julie. It's about these women in Florida that, that were children. And she seems to forget this sometimes I'm here to remind her this is not about any one person this is about a network of people that are so powerful that I'm like really sick and speaking out now because in case I don't make it I want people to know and I believe I will because of the love of these girls I really do like the love I'm getting Sean. one of the girls the sweetest most precious girl asked me to be her child's godmother this is Sarah Ransom I mean just so sweet Mm -hmm. and then Virginia started a fund with Mariska and so just that love is going to get me well, and it's also going to make us all survive because I really believe that people like Alan Dershowitz will be destroyed by our love. I really believe that. And you know, David, you convinced me of it.
0: It's true, it's happening. People are all over the world siding with you. Um, Prince Andrew just proved to the entire world. With it's his, disgusting. with what he said that you know this really did happen, yes. and every everybody all over the world has has got your back, and I can feel the love. Yeah, I can feel the love. Going, you know.
1: Yeah, that's it's amazing. That,
0: that's what's going to be happening in your life from here on out.
1: Yes, so. a lot, a lot, a great deal of it. Just it, and you know my tumors. Um, I have a. I wanted to explain this. I have a very rare brain tumor, and I was treated for that this year. And then when they went in to do a PET scan they realized I had these spots all over my heart and they were like, well what's that? And it ends up it's a totally different kind of cancer, it's lymphoma. And so the brain tumor is like really rare and I lost my hearing, that's how I found out I had it. I had migraines and been sick for like 20 years. And I'm telling you, the doctor said it grew over 20 years. I know when I got it. I got it because of these people. Randy Bowie, Les Wexner, Abigail Wexner. And they can pretend like I don't exist, but I do. And I'm never gonna shut up about it, never. And I'm gonna tell you why. When I went in for that brain tumor thing, they did a, a little scan and they said, you know what, you were two weeks away from losing your voice. This is, so I filed my affidavit, you better believe it. And then, and then they did a thoracic surgery to see what those spots were. And the doctor almost, she cut off the circulation on my tongue, it was an accident, but she was the anesthesiologist. So my tongue almost died and it turned black and I couldn't speak for a month, right? It was like three months I really talked like blah, 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 blah. And I had to do like all these, and then he was arrested and I'm doing all these, and I was like, you know what, I don't care if my tongue is black and I don't sound normal, and I'm deaf in one ear, I am going to tell people what happened before those names came out. You know, it was very important, the timing.
0: How helpful were the FBI?
1: Okay, the FBI has been the most abusive part of this. The most abusive part of this. Now here's what's funny about the FBI. They've kind of, just because they owe these children in Florida, believe me, they've kind of coddled Virginia a little bit to suit their narrative, but they abused the heck out of her by never protecting her, right? They knew this was going to happen to these people. They knew it because I told them 10 years before they were assaulted, right? So think about that. Many, well, however many years before I reported it in 1996, I think at least five years before Virginia was even working or, you know, in high school, right? So I'm using her as an example. I think Courtney was even younger. It's just, so egregious that they never listened and they knew I was telling the truth Sean this is another thing that really bugs me people are like well maybe they thought it was a call I had so much information and they passed me to another guy when I talked about Wexner you better believe they knew that I knew what I was talking about they asked me to not say anything then they came to me 10 years later Sean I was living I was pushed into poverty and obscurity because Ghislaine kept finding me and she would call me and I would get death threats and then I would have to move again And people with whom Eileen Guggenheim was affiliated were tipping her off, I found out later. So there was this man that was friends with him, and he one day said, I don't believe you, no one does. And I said, I don't care if you believe me. But then I had to like lose all contacts because I didn't know who was leaking, right? So I'm alone, living in the woods in North Carolina in the worst town I've ever been to in my life. And I'm hiding in the woods, and I get a knock on the door, and it's the FBI, and it's these two really beautiful, tall, blonde people, and I'm like, is this about my student loans you know I was terrified I'm like oh, I've never paid them I don't have any money and they laughed and they were like no Marianne, this is about your 1996 FBI report and we have to talk to you because we're gonna arrest this man and I'm gonna tell you those two that came were heroes and this woman Nesbitt Kirkadall she was the one who was going to make sure that all of these perpetrators were put away, and she she was. I mean, she's a mother, a beautiful human being who dedicated years, 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 years since I have reported it. She was secretly working on this, and boy, did they take that away from her, and they put her into hiding, and and they. I mean, no one can find her, okay? And so Brad couldn't. Inter- nobody can interview her because her neighbors say, "Well, she left in the middle of the night." That sounds like me. What's happening? So, there are too many patterns here, plus I tell Whitney about the chef and then like a week later he's dead. I yeah, just...
0: can you tell my viewers the story of the chef because they're not familiar with a lot of them?
1: Yes, yes. So this is before Perry Ling, um, for, many, for about 10 years this guy Andy Stewart, I believe it was about 10 years, that's what he told me, worked for Jeffrey. He had worked for Wexner, he said. And he had said he had been on the limitless yacht. I don't know if this is true. This is what he told me. Because he said in Florida one time, and he had no reason to lie to me, you know. He said, listen, I I only wanted to be a chef on yachts. I wasn't supposed to be doing this. And I'm kind of mad that I have to be, you know, their servant going everywhere with them. And so he was uh, someone who I called the holy grail because he saw it all. He saw it all. Jeffrey never went anywhere without him. Like, I remember Jeffrey went to Australia once and came right back because he didn't like it. They got off the plane. He goes, I don't like it. He just, he's weird. So then they came right back. And um, Andy was somebody who saw everything to the point where when I was assaulted and my sister had been assaulted, I went over to the 66th Street apartment buildings where that flagship store was because they had had me decorating that building see these people use me to do whatever they could just use 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 so I was like a servant and so I go over there and I'm decorating and so I still had a key and I went over and I knocked on Andy's door and I said how did you let my sister and I be trafficked I didn't know about the word trafficking I said stolen you know that's what the women the maids had said and I said how how did you let it be that we were stolen and these photographs of my sisters were stolen and right there that's you know I told the FBI so that's trafficking of two people and and child porn the FBI knew this in 1996 that's life in prison there's no excuse for this they also knew it involved Donald Trump and the sitting president okay Bill Clinton they were very well aware of this and Bill Clinton had just made Louis Free the seventh ever FBI director of the United States do you think Louis Free or Frey is how it's pronounced Dan said so Louis Frey is in the private sector making millions now as a lawyer somebody needs to write him a letter I want to know what is your what is your excuse, Bucko? It was were you protecting Bill? Is that what you were doing? I mean, what is this game? You know.
0: And you described how when Bill Clinton would arrive, things changed dramatically yes. one residence.
1: Yes, on at the 71st Street place. But I was just going to tell you, I slapped Andy, the chef, and I wish I hadn't. I wish I'd said, "Give me your phone number. Tell me everything you know." You know. But I broke that contact. But yeah, at the 71st Street House, Ghislaine would get in a tizzy. She would have the chef running out, buying things all day, like um, just pretty things to put around the house. It was very evident. This happened three times. She would brag about Bill Clinton loving her. These people were not really secret keepers. You know, like they bragged a lot. And and they were a little bit... Uh, Loose with their mouth, so she would just go on and on. And none of my friends, they were like, Maria, that's not possible. He would have secret service. I'm like, I am telling you right now, this woman is either like schizophrenic and is convinced she's meeting Bill here three times, but I also saw the photos of them. So, so anyway, this happened three times that they she cleared the house. I was always the last to go. Andy stayed and two mates, and they had a feast ready. So. Bill visited three times, in my opinion, based on what Ghislaine told me, yeah.
0: Wow. And Chef Andy died under strange circumstances. You said that he was was privy to what actually happened with Clinton. He was the only um, witness, kind of?
1: Right. So the interesting thing about that is, yes, he was. He was always there when Clinton was there. He rode on the plane when Clinton did. And the other thing is, he was... um, he saw a lot of Trump, too. And, you know, the, the thing that Andy said really struck me when I went to slap him. I slapped him because he said, I said, how could you let this happen? And he said, Maria, you knew because everybody knew. And I went, whack. I was horrified. Like, what do you mean everyone knew? Why didn't you tell me? And he's like, you know, he had been around it so long. he just It was normalized for him. And another thing, when I was in Florida with them, we would have to leave the house for the day because Jeffrey was getting three massages, and I am—I could seriously unzip my skin and walk away knowing that he was raping children in that house while I was, like, on the beach.
0: Yeah. And what were the circumstances of Chef Andy's death?
1: So they're not releasing them. Yeah, they're private.
0: And how recent was the death?
1: April 16th.
0: So basically, as more information has come out that he was a witness to certain things, he presented a big liability to them as well. Yes, he did. And now he's gone.
1: He's gone. And it's really a tragedy because he knew everything. I mean, I've told everyone, you know, you've got to reach out to this guy. For years I've been begging people, just please talk to him. He knows everything. It's just really upsetting, you know. Major loss.
0: Is there anyone else who comes to mind who knows a lot, who could potentially um, speak to the authorities or would you think everybody would be too scared?
1: Um, I don't know the answer to that. I don't know. I I don't understand this fear thing about something like this. I had, maybe it's because I like enough Irish in me or something, but I was so full of rage when I found out that they were harming children, especially the photograph thing, because it was permanent, it damaged my relationship with my youngest sister really badly, she doesn't trust me, it's been really hard. And you know this happened to Shantae too, it's not right what they've done, like, harming whole families. And another thing that makes me mad is feel like, well where were the parents, you know, are you kidding? My dad left us, my mom was working full time, I was working full time, like, we didn't have any choices, and I needed a job in New York. And that's not easy to get, you know. So I just took the job I was given as a servant.
0: So I heard one cop say that anyone who was at Epstein's properties knew what he was doing because there was pictures Mm -hmm. of naked girls on the walls. There was the girls constantly coming and going. Yet we've got all these people now, people who are in the Black Book, for example, um, saying that, you know, We hardly knew this guy, blah, blah,
1: blah. They all knew him really well. well. I'm going to tell you, I've had 20 years to study that book because one of the alphabet soup agencies left it at my house accidentally. So I have an unredacted copy, and they all knew. And I won't tolerate any of them. There was this Christina Oxenberg trying to use people, like use Virginia and say, oh, I'm going to help. No, you're never coming near any of us, lady, because you are a very dangerous co-conspirator. That's right.
0: So, when you were studying the black book, what was resonating with you the most?
1: I think the fact that it was an international thing. Uh, these weren't numbers from just the UK or France or America or Israel. These were numbers from everywhere. And the other thing is when Ghislaine had me to her apartment one day, she wanted me to try to procure a child, she, but it wasn't a child, it was a woman who was 19 that she met in Central Park. But I now understand what she was doing. But I thought they were just gonna hire her as a Victoria's Secret model again. But again, she was flat chested, very tall, long blonde hair, and she was wearing a scarf. And Guilen went to make a spot of tea. She said, I'll be right back. She has me in her apartment and I'm supposed to be telling this girl how wonderful they are. And I'm kinda trying and I'm like, But they don't always pay me. You know, they don't always pay me. And she's like, Ugh, you know. And also she was really smart and she didn't so when Ghillane comes back in, I'm going, Oh yeah, they're amazing. You know, they're amazing. Yeah, they're really amazing. So I wasn't good at that job. But Gilan, I asked her when that girl left, I said, where did you see her? And she said, Jeffrey saw her in Central Park. And he hunted her down. I hunted her down and got her phone number. And and she's going to work for Victoria's Secret. And I said, but she just said she doesn't want to. And she said, it's not up to her. <laughs> yeah.
0: So so the visits, the visits from Prince Andrew came um, after you had been um, – you know involved and you didn't see anything to do with prince andrew but what are your thoughts oh i
1: did actually um oh, you so did. I, yeah so prince andrew frequented the new york academy of art oh. yeah isn't that interesting the whole royal family so after um i want to tell you about the photo albums but i want to backtrack for one second and say that after eileen knew all of this and i called her from the estate and she knew she thought they'd raped and murdered my sister Lan gave her a position to work as the press secretary in the United States for Prince Charles. So she worked for Prince Charles. But no, the royals were always at the academy, lurking. It was They are so creepy. They were always there. And I'm like, why are these people here? Oh, they're interested in the arts. Oh, really? So like Prince Charles has been, they've all been there, right? So yeah, no, Andrew's been there. And the other thing about him is that Ghislaine... I was like, is that that guy from the academy? Because she starts showing me her photo albums, and she's like, no, that's Prince Andrew. And I'm like, okay. I didn't know anything about him, didn't care, right? I only cared about Lady Diana, and this is what strikes me. She's showing me these photos where this is when Diana is dating. Now, she's still living at the time. It's 1990, almost 96, and it was 96. and, And Diana was still living and she was like someone I adored more than probably you know I was a little girl who grew up wanting to be Diana what a precious woman like she gave so much of herself to sick people and so I was really touched by her so Ghislaine starts going through these photo albums and she literally had pictures of them when Diana was still dating Charles of them making fun of her and she's like look Maria she's in the corner crying we hated Diana and that's when she would like you know turn like wow and she said I mean it's like Burgie, all of them, just making so much fun of this woman. And the other thing I noticed is they know each other for a long time. I don't think they met in college. I don't buy that because I saw pictures of Gailan growing up with the Royals. And the other thing she said when she showed me these photo albums, she showed me her dad's state funeral. She's like bragging about her dad. He's the most amazing man in the world, right? And I'm like, okay. And she says, but these are the people, they gave him this funeral in Israel, and she's like, and the Rothschilds were the great protectors of of our family, but then she goes, but the C-U-N-T's pushed him off the boat, and I thought she said the baby Gilan, she said the Lady Gilan, they pushed him off the Lady Gilan, and I'm like, I didn't ask, did she mean the Rothschilds, does she mean Israel, like what is she talking about? So anyway, I didn't ask, I thought it was rude to ask, But I saw a lot of weird photos in those albums, she had like 17 albums, and she didn't have friends, so she's showing me her photos. And the other thing that happened to me, Sean, when I walked in there, is she had a piece of art, and they did this stuff on purpose, to intimidate the women. When I walked in, as soon as I was greeted by one of my own drawings, remember I described that poster, and I studied with Randy Mellick, and I learned to draw like that. That was my first drawing I did at the academy. And she had taken it, it was in her house. And I'm like, how do you have that? I didn't give you that. She goes, oh, I took it, I liked it. It was in my apartment with like a police lock and deadbolts, I don't understand. So I ignored that, unfortunately, but I noticed like all these glistening things on the fireplace and like sitting by the table. And I said, my gosh, what are those? I've never seen anything so interesting. And she said, oh, those are ancient relics. They're Peruvian, they're from graves. And I said, really, that's really weird. She goes. Yeah, they're 20, they're solid gold, and my father took them from the British Museum. And I'm like, wait, she did not just, I had just gotten my thesis where I studied, and I knew that in the British Museum, when I would go there for my project, I would have to like ask for them to turn the pages of the books I was studying. I knew you didn't just take things out of the cabinets, you know, it's a museum. And she, I said, he took them? And she said, yeah, he liked them, so he took them. And I'm thinking, just like you took that drawing? Like, that's pretty weird, right?
0: (laughs) So when um, you reference there that they pushed him off the Lady Ghislaine, you're talking about the death of her father. Yes. Uh, Yeah, and just to clarify that for people watching then, um, in the assassination of Robert Maxwell, there's a book on Amazon and it describes Israeli intelligence. The guys pull up in a dinghy and he's expecting some kind of meeting and he's out there and they jump on board and they stick... um, they get him with a needle in the neck and leave him slumped and naked and and deceased Um, and there's all kinds of conspiracies and, and speculation about that to this day but let's just clarify one thing then so you said all of the royals were there are you talking then Queen Elizabeth's kids? No not
1: Queen Elizabeth not Queen Elizabeth and not the children like none of the ones we think of now like Kate and William and those people none of those people were they were just children so none of those people were there, but I'm talking about like even the royals, like the cousins and um, all the brothers and like not the queen mom and the mother and all that, but but all the ones like Prince Charles, Andrew, Fergie, those people. They were free, they frequented the academy, but they were also they grew up with Gilan, you know.
0: So She grew up with the Queen. <laughs> Are you saying saying then that these predators use this cultured facade to mask what they're doing and this is, you know, you've you've described excellently how they're getting the girls in, promise them that they can get jobs as models and they're so sophisticated and wealthy and cultured but behind that they're absolutely diabolical.
1: Yes, absolutely. There's something different about these people, Sean, something very sinister, I'm telling you. This whole group of people to the point where it actually made me physically sick and the other thing that made me sick was the FBI because they did nothing for these children so I didn't have children because of this that's too terrifying for me I couldn't have children after I know what happens and the government doesn't even protect them
0: you, you mentioned the, the two good FBI guys the blondes what, what, yeah. was so, what was so bad about your other dealings with the FBI because we've not really gone into that in, in detail
1: Right, so another thing that happened, they've well they haven't wanted, they never told Annie and I that they settled with Acosta. We weren't called, we were asked to testify, right? And I get a call from Nesbitt at some point and she's kind of crying and she's really disappointed, but I didn't understand because she didn't explain it well. And she didn't, I think it was too heartbreaking or something, I don't know. But she, no one called Annie and told her. We thought we were still waiting to testify for years until about five years ago. I was like, I don't think they're gonna call us, do you? I mean, nobody imagines that the FBI is actually a criminal organization. I didn't imagine that. And honestly, I believed in this country and now I don't at all. I'm terrified of this country. It's run by, like, the most evil people. I can't even believe that the FBI is still an organization. It is a criminal organization. I will tell you the other thing they did. So, they didn't want to take the envelopes that have the touch DNA from the photographs Thickie Lan and Jeffrey, I've tried to give this to them. They don't want those because that's evidence. I found you know, I get information from other girls too. They don't want their evidence either. It's not just me. So sometimes they'll say, Oh, Virginia has some evidence. We'll make this a big scene and we'll write articles about it and we'll act like we're really doing something on this. But no, they're not. No, they're not. Maybe they are, maybe I can pressure Berman into not being deep state. Wouldn't that be great if he just pretends for five minutes and arrests somebody? But I'll tell you what, he needs to get Kellen and he needs to get Maxwell. Those are the two that like, if we don't get them, I don't know. I mean, that's going to be pretty hard to survive that, not not getting those women because I'm still in hiding.
0: So what year did you first go into hiding?
1: So unfortunately… I had a mutual acquaintance of Vicki Ward, this British girl. And that I had confided in that girl as to what happened to me, even though the FBI said, don't tell anybody. I had to tell people. I would lose my mind, right? So I told, like, maybe a handful of people. So this girl told Vicki. And Vicki was like, contacts me, contacts my whole family, says she's going to protect us. Our story is safe with her. She's going to make sure of it. She knows that they're mafia. I mean, I've told her, just like I told the FBI. I said, this is a mafia thing this is huge, this is an international mafia, and and they were like, oh, okay, thanks, so anyway, Vicki Ward in 2002, I think, so it's like 18 years ago, she's like, okay, do this, so for a year, my family trusts her, my dad flies out, not even close to him, but like everybody interviews with this girl, right, in New York, big deal, like we, we trust her, we shouldn't have trusted her, <laughs> she became very good friends with them and now she wrote to me recently and um, not the letter but another thing on Instagram where she said she's a victim and I'm very rude because I won't interview on CNN so I have a problem with her that entitled person this MSM stuff has to go I mean it's not working we're not getting any information she sat on this story for 18 years she's basically a co-conspirator she's not a victim she did nothing while children were being raped in Florida I can't stand that yeah.
0: So when did you first go on the run and what happened while you were on the run?
1: Okay, sorry, I didn't really answer but basically I had to go on the run because Geland called me and told me that our, her little friend Vicky told her over drinks that I had reported them to the FBI what? and I had to leave in the middle of the night.
0: What year was that?
1: That was in 2002, it was 18 years ago so I've been on in hiding for 18 years. God. And it's really been really stressful, right? I mean, horrible. I know that um, I've been told, like, massage shoot you in the back of the head. So I have to be constantly aware of my surroundings. And it's not paranoia. I've been promised by Randy Bowie, Gilan Maxwell, a lot of people in this group, that I'm not, I'm a dead woman walking, so I don't appreciate, I don't appreciate them, I don't appreciate the FBI, that's very abusive for them to not arrest her, and to pretend like they don't know where she is, that's hilarious, that's like pretending I never made the report to them, it's not gonna fly folks, and I'm talking because I want Berman to do his job, yeah.
0: So when Epstein first got arrested, how did that make you feel?
1: Um I was elated I was elated i kind of I kind of knew it was going to happen because the NYPD um cold case guys had been here detective Phelan and a, and this he was just like a hero and I just knew like oh NYPD has it so they were gonna they were gonna arrest him and hold everyone accountable because the statutes had changed right so two weeks before he was arrested, I kind of kind of knew, but I didn't know for sure right because we thought he was untouchable and so Annie was here because um Julie Brown was supposed to come interview us, but of course she didn't because she needed to do what was um, good for Julie, which was be on TV and go to New York. So we were so Annie and I are here and waiting on Julie, who never showed up. And then we found out that Epstein was arrested and we were elated and jumping up and down and it was a party for like a very short period of time and finding out that he was murdered absolutely, I'm going to tell you something Sean, I knew this man I cannot tolerate people acting like, well maybe it happened maybe he couldn't, these people didn't know him I knew him and I can tell you right now that man was a narcissist and he also had told me many times that he didn't really need any material possessions he didn't need much and he, you know, the guy wore sweats all day but like when he pointed things out he'd go, see all this that I got for a dollar from Wexner I don't need any of it, I could live in a tent that man could definitely survive in a prison for a short period of time Um, and they would have, he knew they would just take him away escort him away, he wasn't going to kill himself because he was an asset we're not stupid you know I mean it's very obvious to me no one has that many passports sharpshooters, um, Dobermans, pinhole cameras it just doesn't happen, you don't have dignitaries from Israel coming in and out of your house all day if you're a normal person You don't have all these financial wizards that really prefer children coming in and out all day, right? So, oh, Or lawyers that are psychotic, you don't have them coming and going all day unless you're a crazy pedophile that's like blackmailing. I mean, I told the FBI this because I intuited it at the age of 26. People who say, oh they don't know, they don't know where she is, this drives me crazy. Nesbitt said to me, Maria, we know where everyone is. (laughs) She thought it was hilarious because I said, how'd you find me? I had no relationship in my name with that area. Nothing, nothing. In the, and no credit cards, nothing. I was really hiding and they found me. And she thought that was hilarious. And she said, they know where everyone is internationally. She's like, oh, the FBI knows everything about everybody. That's so cute. Yeah. And she wasn't saying it to belittle me. She was just telling me the truth. You know, they know where Ghislaine is. They're just not arresting her.
0: How did you learn about the sweetheart deal and what went through your head when that hit you?
1: I learned about it about seven years after it happened. Seven no one told years? Us. Yeah, no one told us, we were waiting to testify, yeah. And I called my sister and I said I'm going to be sick and she said so am I, we were devastated. So the other thing the FBI did that was very abusive is they knew I had a brain tumour and my lawyers were setting up everyone to go interview with them So it was very convenient. What they did is they interviewed everyone who was like a child who'd been blindfolded on the way in and out when they were raped. That's who they wanted to interview. They interview everybody. They interview my sister, everyone there. But they don't interview me. And I've driven 2,000 miles with ABC to get there so I can talk to them. And they didn't want to talk to me. And Detective Phelan had said to David Boyce, why don't they want to talk to Maria? And he's like, boy, that's a good question. Think about it. I mean they don't want the evidence, they don't want the touch DNA on the envelopes, all the evidence that they needed to put them away for life, I gave them in 1996 and they wouldn't take it and that is not forgivable, it's not.
0: So you said that Epstein had an arrogance about him. Yes. And, and so egotistical he wouldn't have took his life, no. do, you have any, do you have any stories from your dealings with him that showed that side of him?
1: Um, yeah, he would like turn on people, sometimes like, you know, colleagues, he would turn on them, um, over, like he would say that somebody was looking at, you know, Lan a weird way or looking at, but he was just, he was basically, he really controlled the narrative is what I'm trying to say, like he would get rid of people and then move new people in to have constant control of what everyone was thinking. But he also kept us all like kind of separate, and did too, so we couldn't talk too much. Like Andy Stewart was the only person I had daily contact with. Um, like those maids I only got to contact it, like maybe twice, you know, because it was very much set up that way. Um, I don't know if that's answering your question, I don't think it is.
0: Did, <laughs> did Glenn and Epstein and the co-conspirators take drugs?
1: Okay, so this was the other weird thing, when I first went to work for him, I just wanted to make sure that there weren't any drugs, you know? I just asked, like, do you guys take drugs? And he said, no. No, no one here ever takes drugs, Maria, of course not. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. And so, I never saw any drug use, never. I saw um, Ghislaine drinking, like, wine when she was getting her her servants to do her nails every day. I never saw, I did see some really, I wanted to backtrack, in Florida, you were talking about the photos, these were all things done to intimidate, so you walk into this really posh house, you know, it's just unbelievable, mansion in Palm Beach that of course was Wexner's, (laughs) that he gave to Jeffrey. Now who gives all these houses away, right? Millions of dollars, this mansion, beautiful, decorated with peach carpeting this thick, and like leopard print, you know, everything's so tacky. But you go in and it's such a beautiful house, but then all of a sudden you're like, I'm walking down this hallway and there are all these nude pictures of children and Ghislaine and who wants to see Ghislaine nude? I was just, I was just shaken. And now thinking about those little girls walking down there. And then you'd have like President Clinton and Donald Trump. You know, they're at Mar-a-Lago hanging out, and this is another thing, people think this is political, it is not political, it's only political in that our whole, the world governments have been usurped, that's kind of political, by these powerful people, and it's not a conspiracy when you've lived it, you know, but I was just going to say that apartment, I mean that house, you walk by all these nudes and these politicians, And then you go down this hallway, she wanted me to see this room, and she had these leather straps, like attached to the wall. And I said, what are those? And she goes, I put my feet in them and I hang upside down like a bat for 45 minutes. Keeps me young. And I'm like, okay. And I'm like, what's that thing? And she goes, oh, that's a sex swing, dearie. She just thought that was hilarious, that I didn't know what that contraption was. So, and she had all these other sexual objects in that room. It was like her sex room. It was so creepy. And they had a massage table in there too. So yeah, that was not, and I thought, man, he is so weird getting his massages in here. This is the weirdest thing, you know? And then I would have to leave um, for a few hours. And the last time I was there, the third time I had to go there, ugh, it was awful. They gave me two macaw parrots that cursed nonstop, like nonstop. So these are the kind of people, like they didn't even respect animals, and I had to go home with like a 300 square foot cage in my 500 square foot apartment. Yeah, it was a nightmare. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> do you think they were dabbling in the occult um
1: yes yes i do i do
0: and what yeah, makes you what makes you say yes
1: um okay so based on based on some symbols i saw like engraved in the stone that later i saw these same symbols and i was told that it was this thing this character that's like a a goat that looks like satan that they, they represent satan that's what i was told and it looks exactly like what I looked up online I'm like wow that's weird they had those around and then you know those Peruvian relics David Ike says they use those in, in like rituals yeah and she had those everywhere so that's different and then um, I want to know where all the children are that's my main, my main reason for speaking out because people get it wrong all the main news networks because you know they want to get it wrong maybe to help the people just to lie whatever I am not going to accept that, I saw between 3 and 5, sometimes 10, girls a day. Okay, I was there a year, so that's like hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds, right, thousands. Virginia, when she would be participating in a, an abuse with these men, and there would be like 30 women, then no one saw them again. And none of them have come forward, this is my point, like, so few people have come forward. When this thing broke, I thought, okay, now thousands of women all over the world, are gonna come forward because they've been abused. And then Brad's like, well maybe they're prostitutes or something. Okay, if they were prostitutes, they would want money, right? If they were drug addicts, they would need that money to buy more drugs. They are not coming forward because they are no longer living. And I want to know where they are. Yeah.
0: Were they targeting girls from a range of society from the poor poor to the rich or did they have a, a type in mind a
1: type a very poor person yeah like me or you know my sister who didn't have money for college didn't have money for the subway that kind of thing and he would always pay me he paid my credit card until you know the last day when i left ohio and it would be like just enough to not cover my rent so that i would have to work all these other jobs for him but then i wouldn't get paid for those either and then they would steal my paintings what a great dean of students, so the whole thing happened to me because I went to the wrong graduate school, imagine that, that is why that woman needs to be removed, that is very dangerous to have someone like that on the board, president of the board of a school, are you kidding me? No, I'm not letting this lie.
0: <laughs> so there are many different theories as to why Epstein was murdered, what's yours? Right.
1: Um, uh, well, he knew way too much, and he had loose lips, yeah. Do you and I think, think, do I you think, think they, they used him enough, He was they were done with him. I'm pretty sure, based on my experience of this, the FBI is very much involved in this. So the FBI is like, we don't need him anymore, you know?
0: Do you think if he had a life sentence, he was facing a life sentence and the prosecutor said, well, tell us it's more names of the people above you, he would have oh, sung? Would
1: have, yeah, absolutely. You better believe it. Oh, absolutely.
0: You, you mentioned that while you're on the run, Ghislaine Maxwell periodically tracked you down and called you. Called me. How often did that happen? And specifically, what did she say? Okay, so it happened a handful of times,
1: but it was over the years. So it was enough to – It was. she's an emotional terrorist, an emotional terrorist. And so she would call me and say, like, While I was still in New York, she called and said, you know, hey, I know you like to go running on the West Side Highway. You know, I changed my phone number. And then she'd call and say, hey, Maria, I know you like to go running on the West Side Highway. You better watch your back, because you can die so many ways there. Okay, dearie, click. So these um, veiled threats occurred until very recently. Yeah, until about five years ago. Yeah.
0: And do you have a theory as to where she is now and why she's being protected?
1: Yeah, I do. I honestly, just my instincts, it has nothing to do with anything other than what she told me when she showed me those photo albums, that showed me a lot about what was, who was involved and also how things might unfold, right? Because she said to me, the Rothschilds are the great protectors of my family. You better believe they're protecting her in my opinion, because in England in some big castle, like they put Claire away, they put, they put them all away. They marry them up like Sarah Kellen, you know, give her a NASCAR driver, okay. She's a pedophile who fed children to Jeffrey Epstein for 10 years. Sarah Kellen, I hope you go to jail soon, okay? But anyway, she, um, yeah, I, sorry.
0: So you're saying there's a power hierarchy and Epstein was up in the, say, middle section. Wexner was He was a, brof- he was
1: a low on the totem pole guy. Low. I would and think then- Elan was probably middle. Yeah.
0: Where, where would you put Wexner and Ghislaine and the Rothschilds then?
1: So I think that... For me, from my experience, Wexner's yeah. definitely one of the heads of the snake in the United States. Um, my experience was that he's the head of the snake. That's what I told the FBI. I said I know the head of the snake in this whole thing, and they, I said it's international, but the guy in the United States, it's Les Wexner, and that's when they passed me the other. Guy. I'm like, do you have a file on him? You know? But anyway, yeah, Les was, you know, he's pretty high up. But those Rothschilds, I think they're in control of the whole thing, based on what Ghislaine told me. Not. Conspiracy theories, I'm so tired of that. It's not a conspiracy theory, folks, when you've experienced it. Yeah, it's really not, <laughs> yeah, I've lived it.
0: <laughs> Did she only mention the Rothschilds that one time, or was there more no. times?
1: No, she mentioned them all the time. She all used the time? Them, yeah, she used them as a way of intimidating. So she would say things to me like, they own everything. They have all the power in the world, Maria. All I have to do is call them, and they'll do my bidding. Whatever I want, they own everything, Maria. So I believed her, I was terrified. Like when she would make a death threat to me, she'd bring up the Rothschilds, like they own everything, we know where everybody is. It's a horrible, and I'm not a paranoid person, but this whole thing has made me very sick because it's so stressful to not be able to go outside, you know?
0: So you went to the news agencies trusting that they would put your story out there.
1: Yeah, for a year. Are
0: are there any stories that they censored that you've not told me today?
1: Oh, yeah, I have a lot of stories that they, you know, they didn't tell anything. They told like a very, uh, they, told, they told a story that made it look like Epstein is dead, so the problem's gone. And this is what Epstein did to these women. And he's the only problem. I mean, I want to slap Savannah Guthrie because she sat right there looking at Virginia, who's been traumatized, saying, why didn't anyone ever tell? Why is it that no one ever said anything? Nobody, no one ever. And David Boies was so mad about that, that we were trying to go on The View the next day. So here I drive with the producers all the way to New York, and I can see the, the I can see the Empire State Building. We're driving through New Jersey, and I say I get a call from CBS or from ABC, and the producer of 2020, Jim Hill, he's driving me in the city, and this is one of his colleagues. This girl, she's so rude. She's like abusive verbally. She goes, um, "Tell me what you're going to say on the View. David and I were going to go on the View to show solidarity, right? And I said, I didn't want to go on The View, but I wanted to go on with him, and that was what was offered. So I thought, well, maybe we can do this thing. And I said, well, I'm going to discuss Wexner, and she goes, hand the phone to Jim, you're not going on The View. They own it all. They own the narrative. They Look at all those men, now, now they're men that they were young men when they were raped at that school. And Abigail Wexner is still the president of the board of that, we have got to get these women who hurt people off the schools, I mean that's got to be a good start, you know?
0: So out of all the stories that you told the media then, are there any stories you'd like to say right now to the people that they've not heard?
1: Um, gosh, there's so many things to say. Uh,
0: what do you think are the most important ones that the people hear?
1: I think the FBI being a criminal organization is the most important point I can carry across and I can prove it because they have done nothing and they let all of those girls get hurt and then Berman tried to cover and make a lie and then Julie Brown's like I'm a hero, you're right Berman, oh my goodness. No, she's not a hero. Brad Edwards is a hero. And all of us, including all the Florida victims can call him at any time and that that man is a great person who will help us. But I just I think the narrative has to change a little bit about who the heroes are and the main heroes are those victims, especially the girls who were children and are still fighting. I mean, they survived. That's kind of a miracle, right? I mean, but the main thing I want to say is that the children there's so many thousands of children missing and I would like to know where they are. I want the FBI to answer for that.
0: So the sweetheart deal arose when I think Obama and Hillary were in power. Mm -hmm. Trump is in power now. Mm -hmm. Has that changed anything for the victims in the court system?
1: It's gotten worse
0: with Trump. How has it got worse?
1: Because he hired the people who gave the sweetheart deal. He hired Dershowitz, and he communicates with this scumbag on a daily basis, the scumbag who harm, who's harming Virginia very badly right now, and he's very well aware of this, and he buddies with them. I mean, what kind of creep is he? He's also someone that I was a witness to being around several times around Epstein. So I was a personal witness. He hit on me. And... Uh, Epstein said to him, no, she's not here for you. This was at night in the office at the Helmsley Palace, and I had just gone running up there again, Damn the money for the subway, needed to save it for food, so my legs were exposed because I was running running twice, and he comes in, it's 9 o'clock at night, and he comes in those offices, what is this man doing at 9 o'clock at night in the offices? He comes in, and he kind of looks at me, he goes, he's looking at my legs the whole time, and I went, I made an ugly face, so he'd look away. And Epstein saw me, he comes out of his office and he goes, oh no, no, she's not here for you. And he escorts him into this other room at 9 o'clock at night. And what she's year, not here for you. What,
0: what yeah. year was that?
1: That was in 1995. I'm sorry, 1996. Yeah, 1996.
0: So when you see Dershowitz going on the TV all the time and saying I only sleep with my wife, what are you thinking?
1: Please. My opinion of Dershowitz is that he is a pedophile okay that's my opinion and I'm allowed to have my opinion and that's based on evidence that I have seen and his friends if your friends are that low you need to get new friends buddy if you're not a pedophile why are you only hanging out with pedophiles explain that to me and shame on Fox News for giving that man a voice and not giving us a single interview not one person has been contacted by that network if that's not interesting you know so this is not a left and right thing this is very much a government global thing it really is this child trafficking thing I wanted to say one more thing you asked about that was um, the fact you asked what I would want to say that I told the media this is huge and they all know this when you go to Ohio like when we were driving recently um, crossing the Kentucky border into Ohio uh, what we saw was the Abigail Wexner Center for women abused women you believe that first thing yeah Jim pointed out he's like look at that Maria that is so gross okay (laughs) <laughs> every stall from there forward when you went to the restroom talked about child trafficking human trafficking they have signs on the back of the restroom doors only in Ohio if you go to the airport there huge billboards don't talk to anybody only come with who you know leave with, who, with whom you can because you will be trafficked what are the chances I mean this guy we work for Wexner Click he's in charge why isn't anything being done? It's very frustrating.
0: So, Bill Barr was part of the cover yeah. up of the Franklin scandal.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Is he helping you guys?
1: Oh, no, Bill Barr. His father got Epstein his first job, Bill Barr. Bill Barr is so deep state and disgusting. No, he's not helping us. And I'd like to say to him, we've got his number. We know who he, what he's about. He's a scumbag, okay? No. He is not helping us. No one is helping us. In fact, Harvard knows that I have two kinds of cancer and that Virginia started a fund for me and they just gave away millions that they took from Epstein to a charity that they set up. And what do you bet that charity goes all back to them? Because that's how they do this. I've looked at all the paperwork where Wexner and Epstein were like money laundering. It's unbelievable with these properties, but nobody cares because it's the head of the snake. Can I show you the art before we end? Yes. Please do okay. yes. <laughs> okay, because it's an illustration. Of, so I don't know what you can see, but tell me if you can see
0: this. Yeah, can see it. Okay.
1: Okay. So I want to show first. This is Gloria Allred, and I put her in there. Can you see her? Yep. Okay. I put Gloria Allred in here because she was very abusive to several of the Epstein victims, and Epstein's up here, and he's not really that. He's not the most important thing in this story. Trust me. Yeah. um so i don't know if, let's see if you can see alan let me move this oh i can't tell with, can you see the
0: pointy hat with the yeah with the pointy hat yes yeah, yeah. and these are his
1: victims that's,
0: right? de, that's um that's dershowitz
1: yeah that's dershowitz and then you've got like here here's vicky ward this yeah. is randy randy bowie i
0: don't know if you can see
1: it abigail wexner here's yeah. the head of the snake
0: wexner yeah.
1: And here's Gilan. <laughs> <laughs> here's a pasta. I made him Satan. Here's my Gilan. I just I love, wanted to add him because I he knows Gilan well.
0: Gilan's um, snake tongue. That is crazy. I know, isn't that great? <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then here's our, our favorite person, Bezos. Isn't he amazing? These are all friends wow. of theirs, right? Wow. Can't make it up. Okay, and then this is, um, you're going to love this. This is Andrew.
0: Andrew and Clinton. Can you see him? Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, he's a real piece of work. Here's Donald Trump, he's the littlest man on the page. (laughs) It's on purpose. He has a big hand tower, there's a poor door. Here are the unworthies. (laughs) But this is Sarah Kellen. She's driving around in a NASCAR driver. (laughs) Yeah. She's a real, I mean, she's a pedophile, okay? And then you have, and she's saying she's a victim. I'm sorry, I'm not going to have it, Vicki and Sarah. Um, This is Brad Edwards, he's my hero. I'm telling you right now, this is why I paint, and he's the reason I stayed alive. Wow. This is Sigurd McCauley. She's an actual angel, guys. I mean, an angel from heaven. And this this is Stan Pottinger, one of the most intelligent people on earth. He, like, worked under two administ- presidential administrations. Um. And this is David Boyce, and I just I adore him and his wife, Mary. They are so precious. But we have, like, NSA eyeballs. And my point is, this is my illustration for the FBI, because they were just too lame to uh, – to listen to me so I thought if I did an illustration for them maybe they could figure it out and solve the case I mean <laughs> I'm a little bit mad you know <laughs> so
0: is, is that gonna be for sale
1: yes yes it is can
0: I'm, gonna people... make a
1: bunch of, I'm gonna make posters of it so average people can just afford it you know
0: oh yeah that's a fantastic idea thank you yeah, yeah that's in the way there sorry is there, is there anything you'd like to say in conclusion then
1: well, I'd like to thank you, Sean. Um, our family is like a huge fan of yours. And for the longest time, I was contacting you, but just through um, through stupid YouTube. And I don't think you saw my messages. <laughs> so no, I want no. to thank you for um, for really caring. And I saw that you did a thing on Courtney. And just everything you've done for Virginia has been so amazing. It's really brought attention to this. And it's been so helpful to her.
0: Well, look at the, the story of David and Goliath. You guys yeah. are modern day versions of that story and going yeah. up against these massively wealthy, powerful, psychopathic people. And yeah, still like you say, like you're in hide you're still in hiding and it's ongoing. Yeah. It yeah. Just makes it even even yeah. sadder. It's so it's
1: not end for me unless they catch Gillian. I'm not ever gonna be safe. And it's not right for my own government to not care. They don't care about me at all. They've made that very clear. You know, I had to move states because they care so little.
0: The whole world, the people who are watching this, um, it just breaks my heart that you're suffering like this, and we've Thank got to spread this story and get it out to as many people as possible.
1: You're such and a good
0: it's, it's, it's Only the truth, shining the light on the truth, can get these people to back off from you, I believe. Yeah, uh, I believe and, too. Um,
1: and I think pressuring Berman, like I think if, if everyone starts saying, why haven't you made an arrest, Berman? Do your job, deep state man, prove you're not deep state even though they all are on top, they're crooked on top. These, these, these alphabet soup agencies, every one of them has to go for us to have real freedom again.
0: So please, if you're watching this, if you've got a heart, just go down to the description box and sign the petition.
1: The petition is so important. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah, and there's also the donation page there, if you can afford it, um, chemotherapy is imminent, right?
1: Yeah, so I'm trying to get on Medicaid and because I had to move again, Um, I'm waiting on on that, and so it's been delayed by 2 months, which has been really scary and my doctors are very worried, so I'm waiting on that and hopefully it's going to be soon, yeah, I'm supposed to start, I'm shaving my head on Friday, because I'm supposed to start on Friday, but it may not come through yet, and so then I'll have to wait until next week, but I'll be prepared with my head. I'll have so my Sean, my Sean hair You're and
0: gonna, gonna look like <laughs> me then. <look> and... like <laughs> <it>. Yeah, <laughs> we'll be
1: <Gwen. laughs> so I just wanna thank you again, and my mom is such a huge fan, I can't even tell you. She just has like a huge crush on you. She's always like, oh, Sean, Sean, Sean. So cute.
0: Well, thank you she very much. Me, so, <laughs> she just <laughs> Thank you very much. If you've enjoyed this video then, please let us know what you thought about it in the comments and I um, appreciate you sharing it and getting the story out there to a wider audience and thank you very much for tuning in, take care out there, thank you.